everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we have operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system, in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday Injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have two candidates in Alameda County, Pamela Price, who has announced she is running for DA for a second time, and Joanne Walker, a police officer in San Francisco who's running for sheriff in Alameda County. So welcome to the show, both of you. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. So um, let's uh, start with uh, Joanne, uh, who we haven't had on the show previously. Um, tell us a little bit about your background and why you're running. Well, I am, uh, my name is Joanne Walker. I am a 25-year veteran with the San Francisco Police Department. I have done a variety of things in the San Francisco Police Department to improve uh, police services. And the reason why I am running is because of three main things, police accountability, the second is uh, police reform, and the third is working with the community so that uh, the community can we can build trust. Law enforcement can build trust with the community so that we can complete the tasks that are expected and uh, needed from law enforcement in Alameda County. And uh, Pamela, uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about your background and why you're running for a second time? Sure, I'm running because I'm a drum major for justice. I've been a civil rights attorney for 30 years and have both represented law enforcement and sued law enforcement, have held people accountable. And the kinds of racial disparities and inequities that I see and have personally experienced in the Alameda County criminal justice system, I decided that it was important for someone with my background, my experience, my training to step up and try to make a change. We all need to be the change that we wanna see in the world. And we say that, and sometimes we get the opportunity to actually do that. And so for me, this was that opportunity. Uh, when I ran in 2018, it was the first time in 53 years that anyone had run for district attorney and we need a change. Our criminal justice system in Alameda County is basically a throwback to the 1940s. And so it's now it's a time for change. And I know that the people of Alameda County are ready for that. So I'm in it to win it again. So I know you told me that uh, DA O'Malley might not run. Mm -hmm. um, do we know anything more about that? No, she's not saying yay or nay. 
And what about Sheriff Ahern? He's not saying yay or nay either. <laughs> you know, it's hard when people have been entrenched and have had the kind of power that they've had for many, many decades, it's hard for them to accept, certainly to accept change or, or even more significantly to move aside and let others take the opportunity to, to bring a change. That's difficult. Now I know uh, Joanne mentioned some issues. Uh, what uh, issues are you running on this time? Myself? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I have a 10-point platform, which is in many ways is entirely consistent with our prior platform. I'm very uh, motivated to address gun violence throughout the county. It's really about also making sure that there's no more double standard in the county. We want equal justice for everyone. And as a civil rights lawyer, I understand that my first job is to serve as a minister of justice for this community. We need to create opportunities for um, institutional opportunities for re-entry and returning citizens. We need to address the um, excessive sentences. The laws have changed, as you know, in Sacramento has been a sea change in how we are expected to administer justice. And so I'm committed to that change and looking forward to bringing uh, the new laws into effect and interpreting them in a way that they're intended to reflect the progressive spirit of Alameda County. Um, so it's a, that's the, this is the time to do that. And Joanne, what are your biggest concerns about what's happening in Alameda? Well, I can start with this. The COVID, uh, outbreak in Santa Rita jail has me very concerned because when those inmates or those who are incarcerated get out, they go back home to their families. And if they are not treated, if there's no medical treatment for them, then all they do is come back and destabilize their families. And ultimately they destabilize the community. So that's one thing that I'm very, very concerned about because COVID infections for some it is, it is a death sentence. And if we're supposed to be a country of laws where we care for the people who are within our borders, we can do better. The second thing I'm concerned about are the lawsuits that have been uh, waged by women uh, who have been incarcerated in Santa Rita jail. I read a story about a lady who uh, was uh, incarcerated who actually gave birth on a cold, unsterile floor where she did not receive any assistance, medical assistance from anyone who was in charge. She ended up uh, filing a lawsuit and there have been lots of lawsuits filed, at least three that I know of, filed by women who have been incarcerated in Santa Rita jail. I'm very concerned about that because again, stabilizing the community is very important and how does that show stability? when you turn the other cheek. And what I read in the paper was that um, they were considered poor uh, women who were only complaining because they wanted to make money. I don't know any woman in her right mind who would want to give birth on an unsterile floor without any kind of medical assistance, no uh, type of medication if she needed it, and nothing to help her newborn child. That's not humane. 
And I don't think that when she uh, was incarcerated that she went in to the jail thinking that this was okay. So those two things really matter to me. And really, if you look at it, if those issues had been addressed, then uh, there wouldn't have been a need to pay out high uh, awards because someone failed to do their job. So I would like to correct that. There are other things that I would like to correct, uh, but the, uh, one, the last one, that's a real big one, is the, the balancing the budget. What is the money spent for? I'm reading things that tell me that more money is spent for that jail at this particular time, and there's supposedly less prisoners there. So without the transparency of what's going on and what the money is being spent for, it's very different, difficult to make an assessment on how uh, we can change things for the better. So you can't do it from the outside. You have to do it from the inside. I just think that we can do better, and a lot of people who are very concerned about what's happening in Alameda County, such as uh, the um, uh, relationship between ICE and the immigrants. What is actually going on with that? Is there a change that needs to take place there? It sounds like it from what I've read, but the only way to know for sure is to uh, run for the office, to win the office, and to go in there and and do the right thing by balancing those books and finding out where the money is going and how can we make it better. So uh, you brought up uh, Santa Rita and we've uh, spent a lot of time uh, with my organization covering uh, COVID cases out of Santa Rita. We also had uh, public defender Brendan Woods on here and he called Santa Rita a monster. Um, and I'm kind of curious, uh, you know, um, as to what you guys both hope to do in terms of reducing the number of people at the jail, because that seems to be a big problem, not only uh, with respect to COVID, but in terms of mass incarceration. Uh, we can start with you, Joanne. Well, if, um, first of all, the model of policing has got to change. That's first and foremost. And uh, Pamela has already alluded to the lengthy sen sentences that people are given. We need to take a look at that. I don't think that uh, people really believe in their heart of hearts that a population that makes up less than 13% of Oakland should be uh, uh, incarcerated in Santa Rita and make up 84% of the people who are there. Something is wrong and we have to make some changes. So starting with young people, young, uh, the teenagers, we need to get in there and we need to intervene. Intervene in the sense that, okay, we know young people make mistakes. We know that they don't always uh, make the right judgment when it's time to do certain things. We need to get them when they're young and start redirecting them to uh, organizations and community assistance that will help them to see the world a bit differently and see themselves in it a bit differently. Instead of punishing them for everything that they do, what we need to do is redirect them so that they can start thinking differently about the way they fit in the world. So if everybody tells them that they're bad people, then what is the incentive for them to go on and to be better people? And an example that I have about that 
is when I was in high school, my counselor told my parents, there's no need for you to try to send this girl to, to uh, college because she'll end up working a blue, a blue collar job. And at best, she'll probably be a prostitute because she is not college material. That is what my counselor said. So if I got it then all those years ago, I am saying to you that these kids are getting negative thoughts about who they are and what they can possibly give to the world. And it's not just by their peers, it's by adults as well. So there has to be a reorganization about and a rethinking of the way we are going to deal with our young people. I also read something uh, that happened in 1995 where they said African-Americans were uh, super predators. That was targeting our young people. How dare you? You don't have the authority to do that. So everyone I know for a fact, being a law enforcement officer who goes into everyone's home, I know that things happen and that kids need assistance. They're not crazy because they don't know how to respond to stress. We have to help them. And the way that we help them is not to feel sorry for them, but to put them in a position where they can learn how to do things differently. They, and that the learning is consistent, that the expectations are consistent. And we don't do that with certain children. We have to give them a chance. If you believe that uh, the future, the young people are going to make this world a better place, then we've got to roll up our sleeves and be a part of that process. And being a part of the process does not include sending them to prison for 45 or 50 years, having them come out at 65 and most of their life is over. Now they're infected, they have cancer or a host of other mental illnesses and they can't really become the person that they really could have become had they never had that experience. Pamela, your thoughts? Sure. I mean, I'll start where Joanne is. 86% of all felony arrests in Alameda County are black or brown children. And black and brown children are less than 13% of the population in Alameda County. And so as district attorney, my responsibility will be to determine where are these arrests being made? Who is perpetuating this kind of racial disparity? And how do we stop it? Once we identify it, then we know it has to stop. But we got to look at where it's happening. And it's not just in Oakland. It's in Pleasanton. It's in Fremont. It's in Union City. We need to look at where, that, where these points of contact are resulting in these hugely disparate uh, felony arrests. And also recognizing that juveniles, as Joanne says, they make the worst mistakes. Brian Stevenson said, none of us want to be judged by the worst thing we've ever done in our lives. And many young people do the worst thing they've ever done in their lives, whether they're 15, 16, or 25. And so I want to approach youth justice from the perspective based on science that we've got to create um, systems and alternatives to incarceration for young people that go all the way to the age 25. Okay, that's how we need to be addressing the problem of youth violence um, and issues that young people have. And then looking at adults past 85, 25, you know, we still need to be focusing on restorative justice and how do we bring a restorative justice model to our criminal justice system. 
in San Francisco and New York and Los Angeles and Philadelphia, other major cities, they've adopted um, restorative justice programs that are based on neighborhood courts. I wanna bring neighborhood courts to Alameda County. We have great neighborhoods in Alameda County. These are, this is an opportunity for us to create a whole different model of justice and the administration of justice. In those cities that have enacted the neighborhood courts program, um, the recidivism rate has dropped. And this is a huge issue, again, that goes to the jail. It's people coming into the jail on short-term sentences, people on probation that end up being having their probation revoked and they're doing a 90-day stint. We've got to stop that. We've got to create an alternative model that allows the community to have power over how justice is done, that engages residents and also holds the people who have violated the rules and the statutes and the norms that we live by that holds them accountable and gives them an opportunity to understand the impact that their conduct is having on the community that we all live in. And then again, we have to look at the um, repairing the harm of mass incarceration. As mm -hmm. Joanne alluded to, we've got people in jail who've been in jail for 40, 50 years or 70, 80 years old. They are no longer threats to society. And the legislature has passed uh, most recently a, a law that allows district attorneys, in fact, compels district attorneys to look at those long sentences and sentences and to engage in the resentencing process. That needs to be happening in Alameda County at a much greater pace because Alameda County has been at the forefront of mass incarceration. We right. have been driving it and sending people to jail for decades now. So it is our responsibility to begin to repair that harm by using the tools that the legislature has given us. And in addition, what I would like to bring out or present to your listeners is that for those of them who may not know, the teenage brain is undeveloped. It, the teenager, really the brain, based on the research, does not really fully develop as far as the frontal lobe goes until they're in, they're like 25, 26, or 27. So just following the science of it all, we need to really take a look at the impact that going to prison or going to jail, being put in a cage like an animal, the impact that that uh, plays on the mind of the young person who is undeveloped. So you're not really solving a problem, you're creating another problem. And we wanna stop that. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, because uh, I've covered courts in San Francisco and I'm aware of things like, uh, you know, the texting scandal and some other thing. Uh, what, uh, Joanne, what, what, what's your reaction to that in your department? And have you tried to fight that? kind of culture. Um, yeah, start there. Am I trying to fight which type of culture? The, the culture that led to things like the texting uh, scandal and things like that. Well, uh, teaching at the academy gave me an opportunity to present a new picture. So I taught hate crimes. I taught cultural competency. 
I also taught the recruits, um, gave them information on what they needed to do when they are uh, put in a situation where they're dealing with someone who is in a crisis or someone who is suffering from a mental illness. I also designed a uh, curriculum around uh, office, uh, young officers or recruits at the time, uh, putting themselves in the situation of others who were marginalized. A lot of them didn't appreciate the assignment initially, but then once they became officers and they could see that they're dealing with a whole uh, variety of people who come from various walks of life, who have had experiences that are greater or different than theirs, they got a chance to see that, you know what, that research about the very first women who came into law enforcement was important. They got a chance to see that learning about history makes a difference uh, in the way that you treat this person who you don't know. They got a chance to see that some places where they grew up, they were very fortunate, but other people didn't have that fortune. And as a result of that, the way that person looks at the world may be very different from the way that you look at the world. So you don't have to take those things personally, but in order to be effective in the community that you serve and that you swore to serve, you must know about the people who live there. You must get a greater understanding or develop a greater understanding and respect for what they have gone through so that you can break through that in order to develop the rapport that's necessary to de-escalate situations before they get out of hand. So in terms of uh, helping to change that culture, that was the way that I chose to go about doing it. And I was at the academy for seven years and continued to work at, uh, work at in terms of volunteering for uh, crisis support or suicide prevention, uh, have done that for seven years. So everything that I've done has been to open the model up so that people can be begin to ask those questions. Do I feel that my culture is better than someone else's culture? If I do, how does that impact the way I'm able to communicate with that individual? So it really is about self-respect first and the respect of other people. Do you think things have improved there? I think that uh, we have different guidelines now that help us stay focused on the uh, things that are important. And I want to say because of those guidelines, people know that if they do not follow those guidelines, that there is a consequence that you suffer. So in terms of the guidelines, I'm going to say yes, that has improved because the new administration is serious and they are being very consistent about the delivery and about the expectation. And what's your understanding of the Alameda Sheriff's Department? What's the culture like there? Are there enough uh, deputies of color? What I wanna say is based on what I've read so far, it looks like um, training is definitely needed. Supervision is needed. And there has to be some consistency in terms of the policies and the procedures that they are uh, supposed to follow. So until I learn more, um, I'm going to leave uh, that as my statement about it. And, and Pamela, what, what are your thoughts on the, the current DA's office in Alameda? Does it uh, um, reflect the diversity of the community or not? It definitely does not reflect the diversity of Alameda County and it doesn't reflect the values of Alameda County. We have a district attorney that insists on prosecuting the death penalty when Alameda County voters have consistently 
voted against the death penalty. We have a district attorney that advocated against Proposition 47 and Proposition 57 when Alameda County voters overwhelmingly voted in favor of those criminal justice reform measures. We have um, a district attorney that's not sure whether or not uh, it's appropriate to take money from law enforcement unions while you're investigating law enforcement. That's not, that's, <laughs> our community understands the conflict of interest and the lack of police accountability that is all over this county, whether you're in Pleasanton or San Leandro or Hayward or Oakland or Berkeley, across the county, there are incidents where police have engaged in unnecessary, excessive and deadly force. And our district attorney's office is one of, out of the whole Bay Area in many surrounding counties. We don't have, as a policy, we don't, she doesn't investigate officer uh, in custody deaths unless there's a gun involved or a shooting. And that is different from Santa Clara County and Contra Costa County, San Francisco County. Um, our Conviction Integrity Unit does not look at situations uh, vigorously where the Court of Appeal has overturned a conviction and said that the person was wrongfully convicted. That's not enough, a court decision saying that a conviction was wrongfully obtained is not good enough to trigger an investigation by the current administration's conviction integrity unit. So there is so many things that, there are so many things that need to be changed in the administration of justice by um, the Alameda County District Attorneys. Lest I forget, our district attorney does not support abolishing mail uh, money bond. She continues to insist that we have to have uh, bail money as the basis on which people are released. And so that is at the heart of the inequities um, in our criminal justice system in Alameda County. And so there are so many things that we need to do to yes. address the inequities and get rid of them and to bring about fair and equal justice for everyone who lives here. So let me ask both of you this question. Um, if elected, what would you guys do uh, about officer-involved shootings? Well, I'll take it first since that's my job as a district attorney. <laughs> <laughs> um, I believe that, and I understand it's as a lawyer, that every investigation of an officer-involved shooting has to be handled independently, impartially. So I would first assess within my office, are we able to do a competent, thorough, impartial investigation? And we might not be able to. The DA's office has long been a harbor, a safe harbor for police officers. It's long been an office that hires retired police officers. It's like you graduate from Oakland Police Department and you go work for the district attorney's office. So it may be that we are not in a position to independently, impartially investigate an officer-involved shooting or the, an in-custody death. I have to look at what my capacity is first with a clear eye and a clear understanding about what this, the residents of Alameda County are entitled to and what every family who loses a loved one 
in police custody is absolutely entitled to. And so that's the first step. If I determine that we are not able to provide that service, then it will be my responsibility to ask the California Attorney General's office to provide that service. And trust me, I will be looking to see, can the California Attorney General's office provide that service at, at the standard and meet the standard that I will set for those investigations. If I don't believe the California Attorney General's office can do it, then it's my responsibility to find and hire outside counsel who can do it. And it's done all the time across this country. And Alameda County should not be afraid of having a district attorney who's willing to enforce that high standard across the board to every officer involved shooting, every in custody death. And to add to that, what I would like to say is uh, if there is a conflict of interest, immediately we need to uh, bump that uh, investigation up to the next appropriate authority. So if it is not in Alameda County, if it has to go to the FBI, then we need to be the first ones to say, we need to take this to the FBI and let them handle this in the, in the, um, in the spirit of transparency and fairness for everyone. Very good. All right. Um, what was I gonna ask? <laughs> My mind goes blank. All right, good job. Uh, <laughs> it's Friday. <laughs> it's Friday. All right. Well, um, so um, in addition to uh, police reform, uh, you had mentioned uh, bail reform. Um, there's been a uh, a push across the state. Uh, there was SB 10 that ended up being repealed. Um, part of the reason why it lost at the polls is that the uh, reform community was really split. Uh, there were uh, some people, uh, some groups and some people that thought that uh, simply replacing bail by an assessment was no better. Um, and then there are others who, who thought, well, something's better than nothing. Um, but, you know, what, what, what are you looking to do if you're elected on bail? Yeah. I mean, I am definitely looking to abolish money bail because it is fundamentally uh, unfair. Um, and we know that it, it is a used often weaponized by district attorneys to coerce plea bargains to deprive people of their right to a jury trial. Um, and that it's, it is um, often used, unfortunately, to undermine the presumption of innocence. If you're presumed innocent, but you don't have the money to get out of jail to post bail, well, you might as well plead, you might as well be guilty because you're gonna do the time. And so it, we do have to attack money bail straight on, but we got to be clear about that. We cannot adopt a system that is founded as much and infest, infected as much with racial disparities the way the algorithm was that was proposed by the state legislature. Um, that was not a good um, remedy. And it would have, I believe, I share the belief that it would have caused more harm perhaps than good, because then people absolutely would have no way to get out 
Um, as much as I am aware that having money bail preys not only on the person who is incarcerated, but the families that are often asked to pony up this money, go raise the money, mortgage the house to get Johnny out of jail. And it's crazy. The people who can least afford it are the ones who are most victimized by our criminal justice system. And so I understand that truly, but I also understand that allowing judges who have participated in many ways in uh, creating mass incarceration and who have cooperated hand in hand with the district attorney using bail as a way of over incarcerating black and brown people and coercing all the bad things that have happened using bail, the judges have been part of it. And so I'm very concerned that we must have very clear standards before we entrust our judiciary to actually save us (laughs) from mass incarceration. That's a fallacy. So we've got to be clear about that. Um, The DA has tremendous influence over how the judiciary interprets the statutes. And I have been in Alameda County uh, Courthouse in 2020, pre-COVID, right on the edge of COVID, where we watched a judge under the pressure and influence of the district attorney set a completely unreasonable bail. And they will do that. As long as the district attorney is able to pressure judges, judges will engage in unreasonable and unfair behavior. And so that has to stop. Um, And then a big issue that's really come up in the last few months has been kind of the concern over rising murder rates. I don't know what it's happening locally, but I know kind of across the country, we've seen uh, much higher murder rates than we've seen in the last decade, uh, high shooting rates. Um, What's your reaction to that? So... To the extent that there is higher shooting rates and higher murder rates, it's a reflection of the stress and the trauma that all of society is under. It's a reflection of our failure to create uh, systems that support families, that support um, communities that are based on restorative justice. We don't actively push dispute resolution. Um, So as an overall, Overall, the society has has failed the community in many ways, our our institutions have. We spend billions of dollars on incarceration and a pittance of that on reentry services, on community services, on educational, our education system. And or, you know, when I was a kid, you could walk the streets safely. You could go to after-school programs. We're not investing in our communities. And so as a result, there, it's not surprising that there's a breakdown of um, the ability of people to, to resolve conflicts and everybody's under stress. But that is not uh, something that can be laid at the floor of the criminal justice system other than we've spent too much money on the criminal justice system trying to lock our way out of these problems and not really you know investing in um solutions and resources for everyday people and so that's where i think we have to go i know that's what we have to do and let me add this 
that you cannot arrest your, your way out of every situation that comes up dealing with uh, humans. You cannot. So if we just take that statement and then ask ourselves, what can we do differently? We would have a different outcome because our attitude and our approach would be based on something that's different. And the thing, and the point that I'm making is, do we want everyone locked up in prison? How is that going to help America? How is that going to keep neighborhoods safe? So when I hear people say things like, well, what about the higher, higher murder rate and the, the killings and the violence? That's looking at it from one perspective. There's so many other things that are interwoven in a person's decision to do whatever they do. I'm not saying it's right. I am saying that we need to provide as an institution, as those people who are governing the communities, we have to look around and say, this is not working. How can I govern differently? If you never ask the question, then you're never looking for a solution that lends itself to something different than what you see. This is uh, archaic and we need to stop it. And then, the, it, sorry, did I interrupt there? No, go right ahead. Okay. Um, you know, one of the things I've been watching this year, of course, uh, George Gascon got elected down in uh, LA County and has had a huge amount of pushback, especially from the deputy DAs. And then across the Bay, uh, Chase Bodine uh, has had a lot of pushback uh, this year. Um, are you concerned? I guess this is mainly for, for Pamela, although uh, Joanne, uh, feel free to jump in as well. Are you concerned that there's a backlash against kind of these reform efforts? Um. I'm not concerned. I'm aware. <laughs> and it's not anything new. Um, before Chesa was elected in San Francisco, the San Francisco Police Officers Association was doing everything it could to undermine him. And probably 90% of the pushback that he's experiencing is coming from the police union. Um, in Los Angeles, I'm aware of the challenges that the deputies are um, giving Gascon and you know they are used to incarcerating people that has been their mission you know one of the people who inspired me was a young man named Adam Foss out of the Boston uh, District Attorney's Office and Adam Foss talked about his mission was and what he wanted to see was he wanted us to hire prosecutors who want to change lives and not destroy them. Because we have lived in a culture and a system of prosecutors who want to destroy lives. And Alameda County, unfortunately, is part of that culture. It has been about how many people can I convict? And so San Francisco, Chase has had the benefit of George Gascon's tenure there now. So he is putting together an amazing team of deputy district attorneys who are fully supportive of the initiatives that he is taking and making there. Gascon is coming into an extremely hostile situation where the deputies are used to using bail as a way to intimidate and incarcerate people and coerce uh, convictions where there's been, LA has a terrible history 
of unfair wrongful convictions and police misconduct from you know the rampart scandal. I mean, just scandal after scandal after scandal. And those deputies who are attacking Gascon, they've been part of that system. So yeah, change brings a backlash. In this season of having celebrated the legacy and the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he faced tremendous yes. backlash as he tried to push people forward. And as a civil rights lawyer, I've had people often say to me, well, your client, she's the only one who complained. She's the only one who's caused, raising these issues and causing these problems. And I just look at them and I say, you know what? Black people sat at the back of the bus for decades until one woman, Rosa Parks, said, I'm not giving up my seat. And because one person said, this is wrong, and I'm not going to do it. Now, she was part of a community and certainly a member, a proud officer of the local NAACP, but it was the day that she said, enough is enough is enough. I am not going to stand for this. And because of her courage and the courage of that community, we all live in a different society. We live in a Martin Luther King democracy, but trust me, it was not won easily. Dr. King's house was bombed. Black yes. people had to leave Birmingham, Alabama. Rosa Parks had to leave town. There is always going to be a backlash when you challenge white supremacy and racism. And there is no better place to challenge it for me than in Alameda County. Absolutely. I don't know how anyone could follow that up, but uh, Joanna. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Historically speaking, when people, um, first of all, when people talk with me about uh, what they see happening and what needs to happen, what needs to change, they talk about it from uh, the conventional perspective, what's happening today. But what's happening today would never have been able to happen without looking at historic, the historical uh, changes that took place or did not take place. Uh, for me and my ancestors to have to fight in order to be given an opportunity to vote and then to be told that you couldn't vote because you can't read or because you don't have a license or because we don't believe you live here. All of these things people don't talk about. They won't talk about it in schools oftentimes and put things in the correct uh, context so that people can understand why we have what we have today. Things wouldn't be happening today had things that took place that were wrong in the past if they hadn't been corrected. So we're here. We're saying we understand that it's a fight. We understand that there are going to be people who don't agree. But people didn't agree with uh, African-Americans being given the opportunity to vote. They didn't agree with giving African-Americans an opportunity to live in places where people who were white and otherwise were being given the opportunity to live. Redlining, uh, like Pamela has already discussed, having to sit in the back of the bus, separate eating facilities, separate places to, uh, to uh, transportation, uh, hospitals. There have been so many African-Americans who have paid a price because there was some white supremacist who said, you know what, 
not for them, for ours, but not for them. You can't have the double standard. You cannot and expect people to then get along. When I go places, people still may charge me more than they charge someone else. Why is that? You see, so change comes by changing the laws, of course, but the other change that has to come is from each individual person. I have to commit to the point, to the fact that I want things to, to be better and that I want to be a part of the change, not a part of the things that led us to where we are today. So it's a personal commitment. And I don't think that people should take history out of the schools, especially when it is dealing with what has transpired for African-Americans. And far too long, people have tried to downplay the trauma that African-Americans faced just to ask for something that everybody else was getting, the right to vote, the right to have a decent wage, the right to uh, live in a place where they are not, we do not feel like we are now um, a part of a system where we're being terrorized, homegrown terrorism, right in our front uh, yards, right in our, uh, in our neighborhoods. Okay, so people have got to be able to look at it from more than just one perspective. So if I want to in in increase the fear in people who don't look like me, then I talk about how terrible things are and how violent people are and how they don't look like you and they come from Santa Rita and all they want to do is just, you know, get in your home and, and rape your wife or uh, destroy your property. I incite that kind of fear because I don't want people to get along. That is old. We've got to stop that. We've got to be willing to think, use science, and use the tools that are available to us to look for different solutions that are sustainable and that we change or modify as we go when we realize they're not working. So we're, we're just about out of time, but I, I did wanna ask you uh, one more question uh, for each because, um, you know, I, I've seen that you guys are, are kind of running as a pair, uh, which is unusual for different offices, but you're bringing a very similar message. Um, do you see that as a big asset to be able to uh, kind of uh, tag team on this? I would say yes. I was um, very inspired when Joanne agreed to run as sheriff. Alameda County Sheriff and District Attorney have been a team. They have both, they have supported each other, both financially uh, in very significant ways, as well as administratively. The Alameda County Public Safety Department includes the Sheriff, the District Attorney, the Public Defender and the Probation Department. So they work hand in hand. And unfortunately, the worst abuses that we see happening by the sheriff's office and in Santa Rita jail have been absolutely sanctioned and condoned by the district attorney. So it absolutely makes sense that it, it's better for the county. If we don't just change one position, let's change two. <laughs> and let, let's bring real change, transformative change to our criminal justice system and what we fondly call justice done right. 
So I'm honored to be running with someone who is as um, dignified and committed um, and experienced as Officer Walker. Joanne? And I feel the exact same way. You need to work with people who want to work with you, who do have a similar vision and who can help people to understand that now is the time, not 10 years from now, now is the time for us to make this change. Now is the time for us to roll up our sleeves and do the work that's necessary so that people can see, they can trust law enforcement, they can trust the DA to do the right thing, to be transparent as much as possible given the policies and procedures and to make sure that we stabilize this community. When people are incarcerated and family members have to worry about their well-being, it does not stabilize any community. So arresting our way out of things is not helping. We have got to find another model and we've got to do it now. I wanna thank both of you for your time today. Joanne Walker is running for Sheriff in Alameda County and Pamela Price for a second time running for DA in Alameda County. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald, and join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mousequake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.